Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy divisional round. Hope you guys enjoyed that wild card action. Won all sorts of money and whatever fantasy and gambling adventures you set your heart on. But as always, we're on to the next round. Core agenda for today. I want to quickly go through some key wildcard uses, takeaways, and then look ahead to some 2022 ranking goodness. Got a trio on here today. I'm joined by, you know, a regular here, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane, but also PFF rankings expert, the resident GOAT himself, Nathan Yonke. Gentlemen, how's it going? Dwayne, you can say something first. I'm doing great, man. I, it, getting to be on here with Yonke, like, is always a pleasure. Like, you know, we got to get him here more. Kings stay freaking Kings. Nathan, like I, the stuff, I feel like I mentioned you on almost like every Sunday night pod that Dwayne and I did, because, you know, we're out there. Sometimes the grind's getting to you. It's been months of this shit. And then I always look and after every single primetime game, every single one of the year for who knows how many years you're always putting out the next fancy information. You're still doing it throughout the playoffs, man. I'm not sure there's a harder worker, a more plugged in uh, man in the industry than yourself. Thank you for coming on my friend. Oh, yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Always enjoy grinding, watching the games and getting all the snap counts out and all the usage information. So everyone is ready for the next week. Watch the games. We try to find the data that shows you what we were just watching. That's the happy marriage between film and analytics that nobody wants to embrace, but we will because why not? As always here on this Tuesday edition, and as always, it's been the plan last few weeks. Don't freaking twist my words, everyone. But we're going to go through just some of the key uses, takeaways from the remaining teams. You know, as fun as it might be to go through what happened with the Patriots, the Cowboys and all that, not really helping us for this week. So we're going to ignore them. Gentlemen, starting things off, we did see some interesting stuff from the Buffalo Bills. Now, it's been the Devin Singletary show for the better part of the last six weeks, and that continued to really come to fruition. 86% snaps. He is staying as the true workhorse in this backfield. Wide receivers where things got a little more interesting. Now, obviously, a lot of blowout game script in this one, but through three quarters, the routes for these wide receivers, Stephon Diggs at 23, Gabriel Davis 18, Emmanuel Sanders 16, Isaiah McKenzie 12, and fifth place, Cole Beasley with eight. Dwayne, I know before last week like we were saying Gabe Davis over Emmanuel Sanders like regardless of the chance that their routes could be split but to see Beasley really taking this big of a back seat is surprising maybe warranted Isaiah McKenzie's been playing great ball but at this point man DFS any remaining sh- uh, just showdown slates whatever the hell you're trying to do fantasy wise I think it needs to be Diggs one Gabriel Davis here from from here on out yeah. I mean, Sanders really the biggest problem with bringing Sanders back was the impact that it did have to Davis though, right? We had had Davis at 92% of the routes, 96% of the routes. And now he's at 65%. So before um, the first time Emmanuel Sanders had come back from injury, Gabe Davis missed with COVID-19. So we weren't for sure like what this would really look like. And so it is really a rotation. So I agree that Davis is second. Um, he is their favorite cover, their favorite player behind Diggs against man coverage. He does get some of the deeper routes. So you get more air yards out of Davis on less shots. Um, but Emmanuel Sanders was out there plenty. So it's definitely a hit to Gabriel Davis's stock. Now it's like clearly Diggs is the one because he's on the field the most. Knox is on the field, you know, actually, actually Knox is the one that's out there the absolute most, but it's he and Diggs that are out there pretty much every snap. And then you have uh, Sanders and you got Cole Beasley, you guys, a McKenzie all rotating. Beasley's routes went from 64%, 66% down to 29%. And this is a guy that used to, you know, we could depend on a good game. He'd be between 70 and 80%, but McKenzie really does seem to have carved out, you know, a role. And specifically, I, I think they went back to him a lot in this game because of how well he did against the Patriots the first time. And he was just a problem for their slot corner um, with his speed. 
dude is explosive as hell when he's out there. Cincinnati Bengals, business as usual, really throughout the entire offense. Don't need to discuss them. 49ers, though, look, it has been a banged up season for Elijah Mitchell. When he's been out there, he's been the guy. But even later in the year, you know, we had concerns if he was even going to be out there for week 18. He did come through in the wild card round, though, 71% snaps and 27 carries. Debo was the only other non-QB with a carry, and he had 10. Nathan, we got the big dog. Derrick Henry's coming back this week. I think he's going to be awfully difficult to keep out of that RB1 spot and just kind of looking at the overall touch projections. I think he would have to be one. But Elijah Mitchell, man, it's hard to fade anyone getting 20-plus carries the way he has in the Shanty scheme. Uh, yeah, I think he's definitely going to be one of the most reliable backs that you can count on this upcoming week uh, just because his usage just doesn't change at all. He's the first and second down back. Uh, the only thing that does change is the third down back. Uh, Kyle Juszczyk was the falter down back. So if you like props and receiving, those are usually pretty low. And he's been the guy this past week. So I like him there. But Mitchell, you can count on him to see double-digit carries. And there's so many backfields that we'll be talking about or have talked about where there's going to be a rotation of multiple players. We don't know exactly what will happen due to injury. He's probably the one of the two or three safest bets. And yeah, Debo's pretty much taken over all the long down and distance in the two-minute offense. But to Nathan's point, like Elijah Mitchell never had that really. It was, like, it was like one game in the season where we caught a blip of it right before he got hurt. We're like, oh, my God, it's happening. And then, you know, he got hurt. So <laughs> I think we'll probably touch on him a little bit more in our 22, 2022 uh, ranks. But this backfield is going to really be one to watch. Both Raheem Moser and Jeff Wilson are unrestricted free agents. To Michael Hasty is an exclusive rights free agent. I'm not saying that Mitchell's not going to just come back and have a starting job. I think he's probably earned it. I mean, 207 carries and 20 targets without a single drop or fumble this year. The yards after contact numbers are bonkers as well. Like he probably has just earned the job outright, but if we can take most of Wilson, maybe even hasty out of the equation, Mitchell is going to be awfully difficult to keep out of that top 12 ahead of next year with the chiefs. Jarek McKinnon, 78% snaps. Daryl Williams is 12 and uh, Derek Gore, 9%. So it's unclear a little bit if this was the plan going in or if that just ridiculous Miko Hardman, Daryl Williams fumble ended up leading Daryl to get on the bench. Since then, though, we've had Patrick Mahomes call McKinnon a playmaker. And, you know, it seems like all things are pointing up for Jarek. So, Dwayne, I imagine this is incredibly uh, frustrating for Kyle Shanahan to watch. I mean, he did sign up to give Jarek four years, $30 million, not that long ago. And to Jarek's credit, he did look like, as Mahomes said, a playmaker out there. Do you think this is what we're seeing moving forward? Is Jarek the guy, or is this maybe a situation where Daryl wasn't 100%, had an early game miscue, maybe more 50-50 here in the divisional round and beyond? Yeah, I don't necessarily trust it. I do think Daryl Williams playing, you know, with the toe injury. You mentioned the fumble. We're going to get Clyde Edwards-Alaire out. But I do think that Jarek McKinnon, like watching this game, gives them something that the other two don't. He, It's, it's like Patrick Mahomes said, he is a playmaker. I mean, if you look at this last week, 33% of his carries went for 10 yards or more. Um, you know, he has a 2.31 yards per route run. So, I mean, he's just doing some things that the other two don't do. Like the other two, let's face it, at this point, Edwards-Alaire – you know, we've talked about it a couple of times. Like he's a nice player, but he's not a, it's not a super explosive player. He can make guys miss, but he doesn't break long runs. He hasn't been what we thought he would be in the receiving game, which is really, that was the idea for McKinnon, right? When they first brought him on like early in the season. And even when we were doing the utilization reports, like he was the guy getting the two minute offense. They just weren't using it, you know, a ton. They weren't running at breakneck speed using that, using that a lot. So with McKinnon, I think we've known it's always been there. Um, it's just been really a matter of time for him getting his opportunity. However, moving forward, I think it will be more of a split. My 
my thought is, though, I think McKinnon did enough in this game to maybe earn some run, which means once you get Edwards Alaire back, and if you have Daryl Williams healthy with his toe, we could really have a three way committee now. Nathan, the kind of recurring theme Dwayne and I have in this podcast is that we don't like to say like gun to our head because that's that's such a negative vibe. He does so. like to say that, uh, Nathan, but you know he try he tries to be nice about it, but he uh-huh. you know, he can't stop. Uh-huh. I've been trying to get better, so now it's unfortunately gotten worse. And now the equation is a Girl Scout walking to your door, pretends to sell you cookies, but nope, there's that gun again, and it's out your head. So Nathan, if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is back this week, how would you rank him versus McKinnon versus Daryl? just for the divisional round? Um, a lot of it will depend on how much they're practicing, see how the practice reports go. McKinnon, because he's healthy, is the fact that I probably have at the top right now. But I am worried it'll look similar to coincidentally last time they played the Bills where like every couple of plays, one of those backs was coming off the field, all three of them. None of them saw 50% of the offensive snaps. And it could be something where they just – give all three a try in the first quarter, whoever has the hot hand gets the ball the most of the rest of the way. So um, I probably don't want to heavily rely on any of those three, but I'd probably be willing to have at least a little bit of all three of them here and there. It's a veteran response from Nathan right there. Let's see the practice reports before we make any, you know, extreme, uh, you know, predictions going on here. If I'm ever on like radio or something like that, and I'm like just caught off guard, just start talking about like players that are out injuries or like defensive matchups that everyone's just like, yeah, sure. Sounds good to me. Uh, but Nathan, I think you are right. We do need to see what Clyde's going to be at. And, you know, I always say with those shoulder and rib injuries, especially with the running back, like if you're going to be playing through that, I think it's pretty reasonable to expect you're not going to be running through these monsters at the line of scrimmage maybe as well as you would with a fully healthy body last two situations we got the tampa bay buccaneers without leonard fournette in the picture giovanni bernard returning from ir 49 percent snaps 13 carries and seven targets and then we have Keyshawn bond who bruce arians is now pulling the i've always loved Keyshawn bond card what are you guys talking about you're now seeing what i've always known 49 percent snaps 17 carries and two targets so Dwayne, we saw the fournette show this year when he is out there he legit has a role on par with the top four, top five, most used backs in the NFL. But if he is going to stay out, this is as split as the backfield as, you know, we're going to see outside of Denver. How are you feeling about Geo versus Keyshawn in a game that, you know, we're not expecting to field quite the same sort of extreme positive game script as Tampa Bay had last week? Yeah, my guess is we get Fournette this week, but I mean, we'll we'll have to wait. We'll have to see what yeah. they say, you know, during practice this week. But with Keyshawn, I mean, he's the early down back. Like it's it's what we projected, you know, for the last two games that he's played. So he's had that role. Um, the only difference is Geo actually carved out even a little bit more than just the passing down role. He handled all of the long down and distance. Well, 89% of it, 100% of the two minute offense, but Geo also snuck out there for 100% of the short down and distance, right? So that's when you got one or two yards to go, it's third or fourth down. He actually sniped a touchdown that way. It was the first rushing touchdown of the game. So his, his role is a little wider than what we saw early in the season when Geo was, you know, really sharing with Fournette. It was Fournette truly getting, 55 to 65% of the work, and then Geo seeing maybe 30%. Now with Keyshawn Vaughn, it is truly more of a 50-50 split. My bigger concern is with Bernard, we know he really is a good passing down back. And I think we were all kind of surprised like how limited his role actually was this season. So I do wonder if this hampers Fournette a little bit in the passing game, because whenever Fournette really took off, 
like he had taken off before and he had had some really good finishes, but once he just became rock solid was once Gio was out of that passing down role. And we just knew Fournette was not only going to get all of the early down work, but we knew he would get all of that um, passing offense work as well. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. Fournette's still going to be one of the top three backs if he's active. Um, we have to assume that, but Gio could eat in a little bit to what he's been doing. And with the passing game, we know it's Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, clear-cut top two guys. After that's where it gets interesting. We had Tyler Johnson playing 77% of the snaps, and that was the only other full-time wide receiver and tight end. I'm just, I use full-time as like more than 50% snaps because Rashad Perryman, 49%, Cam Bray, 36%, O.J. Howard, 29%, and Scotty Miller, 26%, all splitting time. I apologize to anyone out there that had the Scotty Miller uh, over eight and a half reception yard prop finishing with just eight. That was brutal. I saw the whole Pat McAfee show and ballers just really tilting out that one throughout the Sunday. But Nathan, Evans had 10 targets. Giovanni Bernard had seven. Gronk had six. Nobody else had over three. I think it's fair to assume that those guys, at least Evans and Gronk, will continue to be the top two most featured options in the passing game. Beyond that, though, which of these wide receivers, tight ends, do you think has the best chance at maybe emerging as something here in the future weeks? We could also see Cyril Grayson back at some point. We don't really know how that hammy's feeling right now, though. I think it's probably Johnson just because he was the number two wide receiver. He played the vast majority of snaps. I think even if Grayson does come back, Johnson will still have a major role in this offense. I do think this last game, we saw a lot more of the backup tight ends because of the game script. Uh, they were just dominating. So they didn't need three wide receiver sets. They started the game consistently having three on the field and then just didn't need Perriman the rest of the way. So I'm guessing they will not have a 30 or so point lead around halftime in this upcoming game. So I think we will see a lot more three wide receiver sets, which could mean Perriman would see a lot more playing time. But even then, I'm having a hard time trusting any of them since they'll just throw to Evans and Grant a ton and run the ball. Finally, we got some Los Angeles Rams updates. Wide receiver room, we get a Cooper Cup. Every snap, Kings stay Kings. But we did see OBJ and Ben Jefferson back to really playing equally as the number two, number three receivers. And Ben Skaronic, just Skaronic. I'm good at pronunciation, people. You know, I'm just here doing my job, just 12% of the snaps. So not that we were necessarily, you know, getting behind Skaronic as someone to really feature in fantasy, but I think it's good for Van Jefferson or anything else. Dwayne, the real headline story here, though, was the performance by Cam Akers. 53% of the snaps to Sony's 40%. Akers had 17 carries, two targets. Sony, 13 carries. Bigger story, Akers looked freaking good doing so out there. I mean, whether it was, you know, jumping over guys, running over guys, catching the ball. Like, the only real mistake he made was not being able to come down with that uh, deep ball that was thrown pretty well, but he didn't think it was kind of coming to him. So, overall thoughts on the Cam Akers' performance and whether or not, like, he needs to be someone just prioritized here moving uh, forward, at least in these next few rounds, because, man, he sure looks like the Rams RB1 right now. Yeah. And as the game went on, they just phased Sony out more. It's almost like they, you know, Sony started the game, Cam Akers came in and played and they're like, oh my God, like how good he looks. If you look at the second half, he handled 63% of the snaps. He was out there for 69% of the routes. So, I mean, yeah, it's, he could be a near every down back as soon as next week. Like, I think we have to be cautious because he is still coming back from the injury and they may have some sort of a cap on it. But I thought it was interesting to see them just get him more and more involved as the game went on. And my guess is he was over there, you know, probably doing a little bit of 
some lobbying like of his own to make sure he was getting on the field, but he looked a lot better than Sony Michelle. Like he just looked more explosive. He looked more decisive. He looked more powerful. He looked more everything. And that's nothing against Michelle. Like Michelle's done a nice job, but we've talked about this on the show a couple of times. Like the utilization has been there, but Sony hasn't really looked great. He's looked fine. I thought acres last night showed us what, you know, the Rams really hope that their rushing attack can look like. Um, so I expect to see even more potentially next week from him. Um, you know, let's see if he got to 60, 65% of the snaps. I mean, at that point, like he's got to be ranked in the top five next weekend. And we will get to Cam Akers 2022 ranks in just a second. Uh, if you want more information on what happened in that wild card round, you can check out both Dwayne and Nathan's work on PFF.com. Again, Nathan has literally immediate fantasy football takeaways from every game you're going to find out there. So, you know, when Sunday night hits, you want those snap counts, you want to know who's the injury replacement going to be, please go find Nathan's work. And he always, always is posting that on Twitter at PFF underscore Nate Yonke and also Dwayne's worldwide fan. Is critically acclaimed, whatever the hell you want to call it, utilization report continues to be updated throughout the playoffs. Also want to invite you all, if you're trying to get some skin in the game, to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. You can bet just $5 to win 280 in free bets. If your team wins, that's promo code PFF for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Just know you must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania. Only new customers only bring a $5 deposit. Will not always require one per customer. Should this apply? See DraftKings.com slash sport for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And also, leading into our next segment, 2022 fantasy football, it's around the corner. We're going to have awesome dynasty content for you guys. Really already do have it, but we're going to have an awesome unfeeling of some special stuff after the Super Bowl. Best ball season's fast around the corner. We never take time off here at PFF Fantasy. And with that, you can use 25% off any PFF subscription. If you use code FANCY to get all that locked article content, our betting dashboards, our rankings, our prop tool, NFL draft guide, that, and so much more. Again, support the pod and use promo code FANCY for 25% off any so back to Nathan and Dwayne, who are savages. You guys already have your top 250 2022 ranks. Wow. Good for you guys. Let's talk about it. So I'm going to sit here as someone that doesn't have my ranks done and just really criticize the work you guys have put in there uh, to try to even that out. So again, we just finished talking about Cam Akers and everyone can find your ranks on PFF.com as always. So really with Akers, based on what we've seen, based on what we know about Achilles and based on what we know about Sean McVay, are we more confident than ever right now putting him in, slotting him in as the Rams RB1 for 2022? It sure seemed like going into the year, he had the leg up on Daryl Henderson. Sonny Michelle is an unrestricted free agent. Like, Dwayne, it's going to be hard to keep him out of that top 12, top 15, particularly if we see next week that sort of, you know, 60 to 70 feature back snap rate that we, that we were just talking about. Yeah, I have him at 15 heading into next season, but that was actually before watching this past game and like how good he already looks. So yeah, it's going to be tough. He'll, he'll probably move up some. Like right now I've got Leonard Fournette and DeAndre Swift um, just above him, but Fournette obviously needs to return to the Bucs. You also need Tom Brady to return the Bucs. So with all these situations, I'm sure we'll kind of throw out some caveats. There's a lot of things that could still happen with these players, but with Akers, assuming the Rams don't spend draft capital on another back, yeah, I would feel pretty good just because we've seen Sony take over the backfield already from Daryl Henderson. So if Sony's gone, 
and Cam looks as good as he does, like I feel very confident that Cam Akers will really lead the backfield next year. It won't, we won't see near as much of Daryl Henderson. He could really operate more as the passing down back, which is what really McVay's hinted at, like over the last couple of weeks, even whenever, you know, they've been talking about Akers, been talking about Michelle, he continues to bring up Henderson, but each time really specifically talking about a receiving role, which, you know, Henderson's actually had, a, he's made a few nice plays in the receiving game this season. So yeah, I'm thinking, 60 to 70 percent of the work next year right now just right now very early as <laughs> i would put all that going to cam Akers, and yeah you have a top five offense who doesn't want you know a 70 percent workhorse and a top five offense um i'll have to research the the achilles thing some more um, honestly like i'm i'm i've always just i guess because achilles before has always just been like such really almost like felt like a death knell i've never researched it that deep um, but to see what Akers is doing this soon, like that's the biggest thing. We already get to see him, right? We don't have to wait. And well, what's he going to yeah. look like in the preseason? We're already getting to see it right now, which gives me so much more confidence. Credit to uh, Deontay Foreman coming back. I know it took him more than a year to do so, but he's come back and looked really fairly good with Tennessee. CJ Uzama and OJ Howard, different positions, but they came back from the Achilles in one year. Uh, yeah, just let's look at the examples and kind of flush through it this offseason because sometimes with this, like how many Achilles injuries to feature backs have we really seen in the first place? Is every running back being, you know, done with an Achilles, like five or six players? Something to keep in mind, something we will continue to talk about. Nathan, you're even higher on Cam, have him ranked as your RB9 behind Antonio Gibson, RB8, Christian McCaffrey, RB7. My question for you is like, how much higher would Akers even be on this list if he just had no injury concerns? Because man, like he's already top 10. He's already up there for us, probably using a high second round pick on Yeah, probably my biggest concern is more so still Daryl Henderson than Akers injury itself. I think Akers given another full offseason to recover while he's playing now. I'm not too concerned about him next year. But Henderson has started each of the past two seasons very hot. Um, He's been a top three running back if you look at just the first half of each of the past two seasons. He just hasn't been able to finish the seasons. He hasn't really done anything the end of this year, the end of last year. So I could still see Henderson being a factor in the backfield and at least competing, but I don't see Henderson staying healthy. So the nice thing about it is like sometimes when we're talking about these running back splits, it'll be like with the Broncos, it was very consistently 50-50 throughout the season. I could see there being a couple of weeks where Akers isn't worth starting, but then the rest of the weeks, he's going to be seeing 80% maybe of the snaps and be a surefire top 10, top 15 running back. So even though it'll be similar percentages, there'll be clear weeks where he's going to be a top guy, which makes him very valuable. What a world where Akers is going to be a year removed from Achilles and we actually have more injury concerns about the other running back uh, involved in the backfield. Dwayne, you're getting all kinds of, uh, we'll call it love last week with your early ranks, having Javante Williams, RB2, Antonio Gibson, I believe, RB4. Nathan, a little more chill. And this all comes down to projected J.D. McKissick and Melvin Gordon leaving town, which I know was what Dwayne had built into those. You know, sometimes everyone before you just want to scream on Twitter, you can actually click that article and it usually explains explains the reasoning and rationale going behind it. Just, you know, something I've kind of picked up on the old internet over the years. Either way, though, Nathan has Gibson, RB8, Williams, RB10. We're talking about high-end RB1 types either way. And guys, like, just kind of looking at this and looking at the running back position as a whole, guys like Dalvin, McCaffrey, Zeke, Henry, getting up there. You know, we've had the years of them. We've seen them be these high-end RB1s, but the mileage is getting there. And if we can have Gibson and Williams with these clean backfields, no McKissick, no Gordon, 
important. I just wonder, like, should we just really prioritize these guys over the more over the older running backs? Because, man, you look at Javante, he's been a split committee, even going back to North Carolina. Gibson, obviously, uh, wide receiver could convert coming out of Memphis. Like, Dwayne, I feel like maybe we should just kind of hitch our wagon to these guys, circle them and say, hey, out of these top 10 running backs, like, there's reasons to feel good about all of them. But let's just take the younger ones if all the touches are equal. Right. That's, and that's where I'm at, like with Williams. I mean, looking and, and again, it is assuming that Melvin Gordon is gone. So if Melvin Gordon resigns with the team, that obviously is going to impact Devonta Williams, but it's not going to like, he'll definitely move down. I'm not going to get crazy with it though, because I mean, when you look at Melvin Gordon um, and you look at, at the rushing load that he's handled, you know, over the last several years, he'll be entering the season with 1,549 cumulative rushing attempts. Derrick Henry will be at 1,592. Zeke will be at 1,778. So those are your top three. And really I had Henry and Elliot all ranked lower this season because of coming into the year. Like we've just seen that running backs that have been in the years in the league, five or more years that are at those workloads look eventually they're going to start to slow down so i don't know why it feels like such rocket science to people we've seen it time and time again with guys like todd Gurley. so i'm just i I want to be a step ahead of these things and it's not to say like henry was really the reason why people were giving me so much ian quote unquote love you know so (laughs) i think i was on every tennessee titans message board you know so um and it wasn't anything to do with hating on henry and in fact like even in the article I, i throw out that look henry's range of outcomes on the upside are still so high. I don't blame people. Like if you want to take Henry early, I just don't feel like you're going to have to do it. So some of this also doesn't come back to players. It starts to come down to how do all these players fit together in the first and second round? And how do we help you really create the best strategy for winning in fantasy football? And part of winning is trying to avoid injuries. So if I feel like I don't have to have Derrick Henry to win the whole league. And there's an option B that I could take. That's going to give me similar outcomes, maybe slight, maybe even a slightly lower ceiling, but I just feel better. Like they're not, I know this person's probably not going to hit the wall. They're going to have their own risk. Everybody carries their own risk. Like that's just where I come in with Henry. And I probably will be lower than him on, on him than anybody like next season. Like I've got him at eight right now. But again, like I don't blame someone if they want to take him early because I know the upside is there. He's in the perfect offense, willing to run the ball all the time. But as far as Javonta Williams goes, I am assuming, like we mentioned, that Melvin Gordon is gone. And it's just like you and I have talked about it multiple times on the pod this week, William, um, you know, Ian, but for Williams, like missed tackles force per attempt, 0.31, that's first in the NFL, yards after contact, 3.42, fifth in the NFL, explosive run rate. Those are carries of 10 plus yards, 12.3. That's 11th in the NFL. He's a baller. He's a freaking baller. And if we go to the games where he doesn't, you know, he, where he's only had a couple, but where he didn't have Melvin Gordon, we clearly saw what he can be. The other thing I really love about Javonta Williams is even though he's been splitting time with Melvin Gordon, a lot of times what we see with rookies is they shield them from certain roles, which tells us the coaches are not comfortable with them yet, right? They're not ready for them to take that role. But like what Nathan was talking about earlier with Williams, with Gordon, it truly has been a split almost down the middle. And we've seen Williams do everything. So he got to play on long down and distance. He played 48% of that. So those are situations where, you know, the defense is basically going to play man coverage and they're going to blitz your quarterback. And they trusted Williams in that, in that role, the two minute offense, which you have to be able to think quick on your feet. You got to know the playbook 52% of that. So it wasn't like they kept him away from those roles. If they, had that would make that would worry me a little because we have seen guys not able to take that role over early in their career <clears throat> ronald jones and they never were able to 
right? So that would have worried me. But to see him be able to do that, plus how effective he was on top of everything, only going to be 22 years old going into next season. I, I could bring him down a little bit. You know, I mean, he, he has nowhere. He can't go up any further because he can't pass Jonathan Taylor in my rank. So, yeah, RB2 is where I have him. But, like, he's in my top tier, right? So, really, there's a tier of four or five guys I have together. Javonta Williams is in it for sure. Nathan, you have Henry in the top five, which means you're probably getting a little bit less. Again, we're calling this Twitter love uh, than what Dwayne's been dealing with. So I, and I'll say this, Dwayne, I think everything he says is fine. Yeah. I think that's uh, smart the way you put it. We're like, we're really the drafts. Cause like, these are the guys that, you know, you're going to be deciding between. So even if you want to move Henry a little bit lower uh, than you might, uh, then you might just, if you were just going pure based on projections, we do want to try to make it clear which guys we are going for. But I want people to be careful about why we're fading Henry because, you know, the narrative this year was like, oh, Henry just had over 400 touches in 2020. Of course he was going to bust in 2021 and they just don't even put together that. Henry also had over 400 touches in 2019 and then balled the hell out in 2020. So Nathan, in your experience, you know, as you're doing your ranking and stuff, how much stock do you put into just pure work load touch count metrics because i do think it holds some value but at the same time predicting injuries predicting a fall off it can be a tough game and if the worst thing we can say about a player is like he'll probably get hurt that's probably not a good enough reason to simply fail oh yeah i definitely take that into account a little bit in terms of just like age curves in general we expect the youngest players to get a little better we expect players middle later of their career to get a little worse and that's the reason i have henry at running back four rather than running back one or two is Henry was the clear top running back for the first half of the season before getting injured. And I should now, have taken your approach, Nathan. I still would have got my point <laughs> across and it would have saved me about 5,000 hate emails. <laughs> I'm actually watching out for a girl scout right now. Ian. Up at any moment. Careful, man. I like Titans gear on. But even the other running backs we were talking about, uh, Gibson and Williams, for me, it's just a risk assessment at this point. Yeah, they might not have Gordon or McKissick, but they're probably going to bring in some other running back to be the backup if it's not those two. And it's just wondering who those players are. Roughly half the teams in the league draft a running back each year. And like we saw with the Saints this year, Alvin Kamara had 20 plus touches a game. Then once they get Mark Ingram, his touches go down significantly. So nothing changed about one of the best backs in the league. It was just, they were more confident in his backup. So they were able to rotate him more. So I think a lot just has to do not so much with how talented they are because they are both very talented. It's whoever is going to be that number two yeah. guy. Very yeah, and fair. I think those are, and those are all huge points. Like, and I do, and to your point, and like if people read the article, <laughs> this says, this is based on where things are to get today. Like, we're going to get coach. We're going to get new. Like if you think about Denver, think how many new things are probably going to get, going to get a new coaching staff. They're going to get a new quarterback, right? We still got free agents. They could sign. We've still got to go through the draft. Like, you know, they're potentially like, I don't see how quarterback could get worse, but like all three other things could actually be bad things for Williams, for Williams. Right. So he could move down. Um, so I will say Melvin Gordon was not as washed as what people thought coming into the season. So I thought, I faded Javonta Williams this, this off season. And see, that's the thing I like to remind people. It's like when people get really upset at you, I was like, Hey, like I told you to take Joe Mixon this last year and no one else wanted you to. And now next year, I'm telling you, you need to tap the brakes a little bit. Well, there's a reason for that, right? It's not just because I want to have a new player on the list. It's really just based you know, on the research, like some of the stuff, like what Nathan's talking about. But for me with Williams, there are a lot of things that could go wrong and he could have to move down. So these are all based. This is, this is based on a quarterback upgrade, right? and the fact that we don't get any big sign. 
ain't trying to hedge for himself. I don't know about you guys. I'm getting every ranking right this year. So you can keep uh, <laughs> expecting not to get them, Dwayne. Uh, that's just for you. All right. I've been pretty nice to both of you so far, but let's get antsy. Let's start calling each other bad names and shit because Michael Carter, my goodness, Nathan, RB12, Dwayne, RB25. This a, That's a difference. That's a notable, a marketable difference, gentlemen. Dwayne, why are you out on Michael Carter, who on a per touch, not per rush attempt basis, was actually superior than our friend Javante Williams enforcing his tackles? Yeah, I mean, I am not out on Michael Carter by any means. Um, Michael Carter is you sure about not, that. He, he's just well, he's just not the same build. I don't expect him to ever be a 70 percent 60. I don't think I don't think his range of outcomes includes getting 60 to 70 percent of the touches. I think Javante Williams range of outcomes does include that. I do like the offense that he's in, but I'm also very scared about his quarterback. I don't see any way there's an upgrade. It's a rookie, right? They just spent a high round pick on him. So I'm worried about what is Zach Wilson going to mean for that offense. I do think you're going to see the Jets make several moves this offense, this offseason that you'll see will move them closer and closer to trying to look more like the 49ers offense. You've got the former, uh, you know, the OC came from 49ers. Obviously, Sala came from the 49ers. They need, they need tight ends. They need fullbacks. They don't have any of the things you need to run like this really heavy pound the ball offense. So I do think um, that Carter is going to be a factor next year. But the other problem is he doesn't have very much draft capital. It just puts him at more risk. Anything can really go wrong for Carter. Now, if he gets through and they don't bring on anybody, you know, that has a higher draft grade, like I'm more worried. I, I think he's less insulated than Javonta Williams, like for me, but I do love Carter. I love everything that we saw from him. He was a guy that I drafted a ton this past year. Like once you got to around like nine and 10, he was the guy I much rather drafted than Javonte this past year, just based on, you know, what the price tag was. So we'll see what happens with ADP. I do like him. I think he's a guy that could move up. So I was hoping like 25 wasn't meant to be disrespectful, right? He's still above like Connor, Miles Sanders, Kareem Hunt, Damian Harris, AJ Dillon, a lot of names that people are going to be on for next year. Um, I just couldn't get him up into that next tier yet. To Dwayne's point, the draft capital really does make a big difference. And you can go back to 2010. The only, let's see, six running backs that were not drafted in the top three rounds. So, you know, a day one or day two pick that went on to post even top 24 PPR production were Roy Hallou, Alfred Morris, Zach Stacy, Jordan Howard, Philip Lindsay, or James Robinson. So unless a Shanahan is your head coach, or if you just got into a just depleted depth chart, good chance you're not going to be putting up massive numbers. Now, with Carter, to Dwayne's point, there is a chance for things to break his way. Tevin Coleman is an unrestricted free agent. There's Ty Johnson. There's Austin Walters. A bunch of guys that don't really stack up as true big-time competition for Carter. Nathan, it seems like, again, we need some factors to go our way. But if Carter is going to be the number one guy in New York, we've seen the James Robinsons of the world uh, really just, you know, still be able to put up good numbers and bad offenses thanks to volume. He should have that volume. Uh, yeah, I think he will. In the middle of this season, we saw about a five-game stretch. He was seeing upwards of 70% of the offensive snaps for a game or two. Um, he was RB5 over that five-game stretch, and then injuries started to take their toll on his season. So I think we did see in the middle of this season him starting to see this RB1 potential. And like we were saying, the coaches, coaching staff comes from San Francisco, uh, they like having running backs who see the majority of the work. We're seeing that with Elijah Mitchell now in San Francisco. But Carter can also catch the ball, which I think is a huge factor. The, my rankings at least were uh, based on PPR. So that also factors in. 
So I can see him catching the ball a lot, running a lot. And I am hopeful that the offense does get better. I do think Zach Wilson will improve. So just the general Jets offense performing better next year factors into me having them this high and that if the offense does better, that's more red zone opportunities, that's more touchdowns. And that's something that um, him and the Jets offense in general this past year were lacking. Hey, Ethan, real quick, like yeah. a quick shout out. So Tej Seth from our team, um, if folks want to read more about some of the stuff we're talking about, there's actually an article he did this last offseason. It's called Do NFL Running Backs Regress? Facts, or fi- Facts and Fiction. He breaks down a lot of these concepts we're talking about, like when do backs typically drop off? Like what are the workloads? How does their draft capital and, uh, you know, impact them? Like everything we're talking about, he goes through like five different things. I think he does a really job of good job of like providing the data, but also just simplifying it. So I just encourage folks to go check that out because it's a component uh, really how I'm thinking about all these players. Tej always bringing some great stuff to the table. Biggest Matthew Stafford fan uh, in the world, believe it or not. <laughs> you, can, you can find him on Twitter at Tej FB Analytics. Uh, truly a great follow. I just hate that he is helping uh, the Michigan football team beat my book, guys. Other than that, great guy. All right, guys, last running back question here. This Cardinals running back room. I got an article coming out um, in a couple of days where I'm looking at kind of like, there's like, I counted 13 like main free agency situations where these backfields, you know, are going to be tossed and turned one way or another. And we're going to kind of look at this in a couple months and be like, okay, here's now the guy we need to go after. We don't know who that's going to be yet though. Both James Conner and Chase Edmonds are unrestricted free agents. Now, if they're both back, I'm pretty sure we would all kind of agree. Yeah, they'll be kind of around that RB2 borderline, maybe top 24, but probably not top 15 for either guy, anticipating more of the same being that split backfield. But as we've seen, these guys, and really any running back with Cliff Kingsbury, David Johnson, Kenyon Drake, if he is okay giving one single rusher the full lion's share of the workload, they've been producing. And I know mobile quarterbacks historically don't help. Kyler's been a little bit of an exception. In the Kyler Kingsbury era, Cardinals running backs are 17th in targets, and they're actually fourth in carries inside the five-yard line. And you kind of combine that with Kingsbury being willing to give the one featured running back these like 80% plus snap rolls. It's been a fantasy-friendly role. So, uh, Nathan, you have Michael Carter as your RB12. Dwayne, you have DeAndre Swift. If I if one of Connor or Edmonds, so like I don't even care which one, but if one of them is the last remaining guy, let's say they just you know have Eno and then like a seventh round running back, they also tack on there. Would you be willing to put either starting Cardinals running back into your top twelve immediately if we know they're the guy? Dwayne, you can go first. Yeah, I would be willing to just because I mean now Connor will be twenty seven going into next season, so that's not. Like he won't be 28, 29. And, and to be fair, like he doesn't have an overwhelming workload, like on his resume, it's, it's, it's a decent size workload, but I just, we've seen the huge spikes with him this week, this year, right. Whenever it's really just been him like week nine, Chase Edmonds played, but he was pretty much knocked out like right at the beginning of the game. You know, he finished as the RB one, then it was RB 17 the next week without Edmonds seven without Edmonds, 12 without Edmonds two. So it'd be hard to ignore that. Right. And then in week 18, he had an RB one overall finish with Chase Edmonds out. So I think just looking back at that and knowing how they did get him more involved in the passing game, which was really the unknown for Connor was how would they use him in the passing game, knowing that they like Chase Edmonds, as the passing back and so once he had that opportunity to really show like that skill set that really I, I mean my 
my thoughts around Connor and the way I approached him in my ranks really went up once I saw like how well he played in the passing game and that they, to your point, Ian, were willing to use him despite having a scrambling quarterback. So yeah, if, if it's Connor, that's the only guy there, I, I would be willing to take a shot at him somewhere around like that borderline RB one. I'm still going to put him lower than some of the other guys that are a little, little younger. We maybe like their talent profile a little bit more, but look, volume is King. And I think Connor has shown enough for Edmonds. Even if it was just him, my guess is like they have to sign a complimentary person for him, like would be my guess. So I don't see that scenario probably playing out. Let's say they did just go into next season, though, and it's Edmonds and like Eno Benjamin and, you know, Jonathan Ward or whoever else is there. Nathan, you can help me out. That's pretty much the guy. That they... <laughs> that <was on> the <laughs> um, so. I don't know. I, I would still have him outside my top 12, but look, yeah. I would know that there was a chance like he could come through on the volume. My, my worry with Edmonds is every time they've given him a heavier workload, he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. It, it is crazy how they are willing to go back to that wall when they need to though. Week 16, 92% snaps week 17, 81% had a combined 34 carries in those two games. Nathan, again, you have Carter RB 12. After that, it's kind of like a situation where we need to see what happens. You have Fournette RB 13, Mitchell RB 14, Deandre Swift RB 15. You're in a similar kind of position as Dwayne, where if it is kind of dumbed down for us and we only have one Cardinal guy to worry about, he'll be right there in that mix. Oh, yeah, I think he'll be right around there. I do trust Connor a little bit more just because I trust him with the goal line carries where Chase Edmonds, whenever he got the ball in the red zone within the five-yard line, didn't do all that great. So I trust Connor a bit more because of his um, ability to score touchdowns. So that's the main thing. I do hope they get Rondale more a little involved in the run game next year. I expect him to have a bigger role. So if they don't get another guy, I think that's a possibility. And then I could see the Cardinals just in general – maybe not having as good of an offense or not playing as well, just because they have, I think, seven guys in our top 100 free agents, and they really don't have a ton of cap space to play with. So um, I definitely would not be surprised if we reach a scenario where it's one of these two guys and maybe a late round draft pick. I have an idea. Let's let Rondell Moore run a route beyond like better than negative two yards. (laughs) Oh, like the few times they've thrown down field, he's made some sick catches too. Like this was... I couldn't tell if Kyler was targeting him yesterday or Christian Kirk on one of those plays, but Moore was at least in the vicinity. So I'm going to pretend they were actually trying to give Rondo Moore a downfield target. Like, please, why do you use a second round pick on the guy then for? I guess that's just, you know, Cliff's like weird little fetish. He just likes wasting. People do make fun of Cliff for that. Like he's very much like he's got these very specific roles for everyone. So like he does catch a lot of heat for that. It's like, it's like DeAndre Hopkins ISO. You got your screen guy and Rondell Moore or Dorch, right? Then you've got your slot guy like Kirk. So we'll see. All right, guys, enough running back chit chat. Let's talk favorite late round QB. So over the past four seasons, there's usually been at least one uh, per year that has just really exploded on the scene that has been available for pretty cheap. I mean, Patrick Mahomes in 2018, before he dominated, he was just a QB 16 and ADP before the season. The next year, Lamar Jackson was QB 14 going into 2021, Joe Burrow, QB 13, Jalen Hurts, QB 12. Like we had available late round options that ultimately returned solid QB one value. Looking at your guys' ranks the one i just immediately have my eyes focus on and i understand rankings aren't necessarily going to represent adp but it's what we got right now so chill out everyone but with that in mind guys got justin fields 
QB 14, Dwayne, I believe that's you and Nathan. You're a little bit softer on him. QB 19. That's the one that sticks out to me, where if I am not going to take a quarterback in the first nine, 10 rounds, Justin Fields would be the guy I would like to uh, try to gamble on at the end. How do you guys feel about that? Or is there another quarterback outside your top 12 that you think is most likely to be able to return again, that late round QB one value? Yeah. So for, for me with fields, it's pretty simple. Like in the games we, so if you look at the last four games that he's actually completed, we'll throw week 11 out, right? Because he got hurt and then he mixed, missed the next two games. He didn't get to finish that game, but he's got finishes of three, nine, eight, and 10. And so he's got the recipe we're looking for, um, which is he's, he's got the ability to run. Like the, he was definitely slow. Like, you know, Justin Fields took way too long to read things. Average time to throw is too long. Sack rates are too high. All those things. But we've seen those before, right, with young quarterbacks that like to run the ball. And you don't necessarily have to be a great NFL quarterback. And not saying that Fields won't be. I think Fields is going to get a chance to really grow and show more next year, even as an NFL quarterback. But for fantasy, really, as long as we know that he's going to run the ball, like you guys have seen Taysom Hill. Justin Fields throws the ball better than Taysom Hill. Like, so let's at least just start there. And Ian, you and I have talked how many times about Taysom Hill. Like, look, when he's the starter, it is what it is. He's a top 10 guy. He's going to be in the top 10. So I just feel like Justin Fields, as long as he's healthy, he's going to be in the top 10. And then on top of that, let's see who he gets. Like, hopefully they bring in someone that has a good offensive mind, knows how to work with a young quarterback. Because let's be honest, like Matt Nagy did not do any favors to Justin Fields this season. Um, just the way that he, he really kind of didn't want to utilize his strengths early in the year just to really get him in a rhythm or anything like that and so I'm looking for the next coaching staff to do more with field so I think he's the easy one the other one that's got a huge range of outcomes and you know back to Nathan's point earlier like we really just have to wait and see what's going to happen and but the problem is with this one like once we know the price will skyrocket and that's Deshaun Watson right most yeah. if you look at most experts right now they're going to have him outside their top 12 it's just because we're waiting on the information um, and I'm not a legal expert and I'm not condoning anything that Deshaun Watson did, but all I'm going to say is like, if he's, if he's out for four, let's say the NFL suspends him four games, right? He's already missed this year, even though he got paid, but let's say they suspend him four games. I think he's still going to probably be somebody like he needs to be drafted every draft. Like if you start getting in the six, eight, you know, 10 game range, who knows how they'll exactly handle it. Then, you know, it gets a little bit more slippery, but Deshaun, and it also depends like, where's he going to land? Like what team is Deshaun Watson going to be on? We don't know, but that's kind of an easy one. We've all seen Deshaun Watson be a top three quarterback before. So I would expect him to return to that once he is on the field. Absolutely. Yeah. That Watson situation I threw out there on Twitter, Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller to Philly. Uh, who says no? And Nathan had to ruin my phone and point out how it'd be fun for the two games. Uh, they're together. Thanks, Nathan. I try to yeah. go on Twitter to have some fun. You're just uh, ripping out some of my hopes and dreams. Uh, back to the Justin Fields thing, though, because truly, I mean, putting it on Nagy, on the pass catchers, on Fields himself. It, it all comes to fruition, but at the end of the day, I mean, league low, 38.9% of their pass catchers being considered open or wide open during the 2021-2022 season just didn't have much of a chance for success. You know, Nathan, on the one hand, like Dwayne said, you would hope that just by virtue of adding a different play caller and maybe getting some additional receivers that that would improve, but we also – I mean, I'd feel a lot better if they were starting at 16th and not, you know, 32. So thoughts on kind of Justin Field ahead of next year. And if it's not Fields for you, what late round quarterback do you think could be a nice target for us in dress? Yeah, like I do think Fields is a great late round target. I do think, um, one, he does need a lot more help at receiver. He had Darnell Mooney, and that was about it. 
a lot of the guys that he was throwing to probably aren't seeing the field for most teams on offense. So they do need a lot of help at wide receiver. Like Allen Robinson was also there, but he was hurt for a bit end of season. So I think um, along with the play caller, they need a lot of help on offense. The offensive line can help a little bit more. I, he wasn't running the ball as much as I hoped he would this year. Like, yeah, he's a running quarterback. He runs more than plenty of quarterbacks in the league, but like Trey Lance in his first start ran the ball 16 times. And that's something that Lamar Jackson's done a number of times um, and barely any other quarterback in the history of the last 40 years has done that. So um, he's not seeing the number of carries as some of these other running quarterbacks. So that's why he was a little bit lower for me. And obviously a lot can change. Um, the other guy that I'll throw out there that we could again see a lot changing is Trevor Lawrence. Um, hopefully he gets a coaching staff that'll help him out a lot more. Um, again, he is a quarterback that we're hoping going back to college and how talented he, he was there. We can hope that'll translate to the NFL. And they do have a bit of talent around him in Jacksonville already. Um, hopefully they add some more talent as well. But I think there's plenty of good players around him that F. Lawrence can become the player that we thought he was a year ago then that's one of the top tier fantasy quarterback options. Matt, you brought up Lawrence. My next question was the quarterback. You might have ranked lower than 20th that actually has a chance of, you know, exceeding those expectations. I think he certainly qualifies. And a similar point for Zach Wilson. I mean, I understand how rough those first three months were for him, aside from maybe that Titans game. Uh, it was really hard to find some good film. Two of his last six starts, though, he did return QB eight finish or better. And like, yeah, some of it's a little, if you want to call that like dope 50 yard run, he had fluky, like, okay, he's probably not going to pull that off again. But at the same time, I think that shows us that he can give us, you know, maybe not Trey Lance level Konami code upside, but at least something. And again, when this is literally where he's probably going to be drafted, someone that you can get as your second quarterback, you know, in the second to last, last round, you could do worse than someone that was literally drafted in the top two just 12 months ago. And as we saw, neither guy had much of a chance down the stretch with all those injuries going on. So Dwayne, we got Lawrence, we got Wilson as potential targets outside the top 20. Is there someone else that you kind of fancy there or do those seem to be the guys? Because just looking at the crop, a lot of questions about dudes like, are they even going to have the job for the entire season, let alone be able to do something with it? Yeah, I don't think there's me. I think you named the right ones. I think it is Lawrence and Wilson. And then we already talked about fields. We've already moved up out of that group. Everybody's already going nuts over Trey Lance. Like we, you know, we've, Nathan, I don't know where you have him, but I've got him in my inside my top 12. You probably do yeah. too, assuming that Garoppolo yeah. moves on. You know, we'll have to adapt to that. I guess Wilson, you know, I like Lawrence better, right? As the quarterback prospect, but maybe with Wilson, I do like the fact that he's got Elijah Moore. You know, Corey Davis, you know, if he could stay healthy, I feel like he probably starts off with better weapons. I'm pretty much out on Chenault at this point. Marvin Jones is really getting up there in age. So he's going to start the season with a better probably a better slate of weapons. We'll see what the Jaguars do with their draft picks and what they do in the off season to try to give him some more help. Um, neither one of them are going to go in with like the stack deck, you know, for sure heading into next season. But I feel like Wilson could get into an offense where really they could protect him more Ian, let it be more around play action, let it be more kind of like what we've seen with Kirk cousins with Jimmy G um, a lot of these quarterbacks that you can see have these big spike weeks. They play in these games that everything's based off of the run game. Jared Goff used to fit into that conversation. Um, so maybe he could have a, a season like that where he comes through with several really big spike weeks. Not that they want to be a, they're not going to want to be a pass heavy team in New York, but 
right now on paper, like I like the weapons better than what Trevor Lawrence has. So they're going to be close. We'll have these two, a lot will be determined by what these two teams do in the off season to try to help their young quarterbacks. Say what you want about Chenault. I think that 2027 breakout could be on the way. Uh, Who's the player you're going to name today that we just need to get out of the way for LaVisca Chenault to be successful? And you've got a new one. Like you've already used Tavon Austin. You've, you've already used, oh God, who Jamal Agnew. Who, who, who's uh, next? He is. It's, it's going to take another five, six years. Talk to me in 2027 before you write him out. That's all so, I'm saying. So about as long as it took Laquan Treadwell to break out and be over yes. <laughs> Chenault. Exactly. That's always been the uh, process. Always been the process. Well, hey, at least he's got a good mentor to look up to. He can go talk to Laquan Treadwell. <laughs> My God. Hey, credit, hey, credit to Treadwell. He put on better NFL film this year than he ever had. Hopefully, uh, you know, he stays in the league. Why not? Go freaking get paid to catch a football. That I do. I do awesome. think he's a player that needs to be schemed up better. Like, I don't think yeah. they've really done him a lot of justice to be yeah. kind of the guy. Yeah. Uh, we've, I think, made our listeners listeners' ears bleed enough this year with uh, LaVisca Chanel talk. <laughs> Let's talk some other uh, less, I should say, more appealing wide receivers. You both have Deontay Johnson at wide receiver nine. I love Deontay. You love Deontay. Big Ben loves Deontay. Like going into last year, uh, Deontay was right there, I think, with Waddle, Devontae Smith, and then uh, Michael Thomas is like my four wide receivers I was most above consensus on. So I hear it, but I think Deontay and also Waddle, pending the quarterback and offense change, there's something to be said about high volume receivers that haven't necessarily shown the high level efficiency to go with it, now entering a new offense. So I know they're on the same team. I know they've been beating out their teammates, but Nathan, like what's kind of your concern here for someone like Deontay and Waddle, where again, we've seen them have the fantasy production and we don't care if it gets there on 150 or hundred targets, as long as it's high end with that said, you know, going from big Ben to another quarterback. Yeah. I would imagine that the efficiency is going to improve because it can't get much worse, but how, I guess when you're doing your target projections, how concerned are you about Deontay's against sky high rates continuing? Yeah, I think um, those two situations that you mentioned, uh, that and Weddle, I view those as fairly different situations just since Pittsburgh will still have the same coaching staff. They'll still have the same offense, just a different quarterback throwing. And even with Mason Rudolph, we've seen in the past or other quarterbacks when Roethlisberger's been hurt, we've seen wide receivers see double-digit targets, even if they aren't the greatest wide receivers. We've seen Ray Ray McLeod recently see double-digit targets in games. So um, I think Pittsburgh regardless of who the quarterback is, will still be an offense that will be running plenty of pass plays, which will result, even if his target share decreases a little, still see plenty of volume to Deontay Thompson. And ideally, it will be a better quarterback situation. Yeah, it could be worse, especially early in the year. It could potentially be a rookie or if they're stuck with Rudolph. But I do think there are enough free agent quarterback options that they can have someone at least just as good, even if it's a stopgap for their rookie quarterback that they draft. So um, I could see similar-ish quarterback play, and even if the volume goes down a little bit in terms of target share, I still think he can play. I think he's very talented and will still see plenty of targets. And, like, the one potential issue that could rear its head would be, like, new high-end talent coming into picture. And maybe that happens, but it sure looks like it's going to be Deontay and Claypool leading the way again with Juju. And our guy, you know, son of the critically acclaimed Fox McLeod. He could also be out of the picture and James Washington as well. So in Pittsburgh might not have much of a choice. Dwayne, 
you have Jalen Waddle, wide receiver nine. I know we've talked about this, or wide receiver 11, excuse me. We've talked about this a little bit already where Waddle, he could be someone where we just haven't even seen the ceiling that he still possesses. How do you balance that out with, you know, hey, having this guy, number six overall pick, he just had, you know, one of the more productive rookie seasons ever. But who knows, if we do see Fuller come back and Devontae Parker come back and we see an offense that really didn't have its full health all year, how confident are you, again, now buying Waddle at his ceiling as opposed to his floor where he got him last year? Well, with Waddle, like, just having such huge draft capital, such draft pedigree, like, all these things going for him, and then to do what he's done at such a young age, even though he got to do a lot of her from the slot, I realized that. It's not like he worked outside like Jamar Chase and some of these other guys, <clears throat> but I feel like there's also other elements to Waddle's game that we haven't fully got to explore yet, you know, Ian, based on the way they ran the offense. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. If they decide to kick him outside more, I think there's definitely some risk, right? Because then you're going to have to beat press man coverage more. Now he did fine in that scenario this year um, against man coverage. He had the highest targets per route on the team still at 25%, which is really good for a rookie like Deontay Johnson. The other guy we were just talking about elite, like is at 30%. Like, so there's, there's a few guys in the league that are just like, as soon as their quarterback sees man coverage, it's like, it's like, it's going there like a third of the time. So Waddle isn't quite at that. But I think he's shown enough. And to, and just knowing how fast he is, knowing the explosiveness that he carries, I feel like there are other elements of his game that could be unlocked um, with an improved offense. So it's going to be hard to put him below. And, and the way I kind of look at some of these things, it's like once you get to Waddle, like, fine, I could, you could easily argue T. Higgins goes over Waddle. And that's okay. And you could say C.D. Lamb goes over Waddle, and that's okay. But then you start getting to, like, Keenan Allen, DJ Moore, Calvin Ridley, Chris Godwin, Terry McLaurin, yeah. all guys we like, but I'm going to have a hard time like pushing Waddle who did what he did as a rookie, like below all those guys. Yeah. And, and you start getting into territory where everybody has their own, you know, they've got one thing at least, you know, sticking out to you that you're like, wow, well, that could be a problem. Right. Um, so these will get fine tuned. They'll get tweaked. Waddle can move down a little bit. I don't think he'll move higher than where I have him right now. This is probably about as high as I could expect to have Waddle, you know, in the ranks. Um, the only thing I will say on Deontay Johnson, like, man, I am very interested in what quarterback they get because the way Deontay Johnson wins um, really is on timing routes, preciseness of route running, creating, a, creating separation, those sort of things. You know, Waddle does some of that, but it's also they'll just scheme it up, right? No receiver sees more targets after being in motion than Jalen Waddle. Now their offense is going to completely change. So that could all be like out the window. That's why there's so many variables here. But with Deontay, like even though he does continue to get targets from some of these other guys, because he's awesome and he gets open, I do believe receivers earn targets, right? If you're good, you're going to get targets. It's hard to be force-fed force targets over and over and over if you're not good enough to be open and make, you know, really create positive outcomes for your quarterback. They're not going to keep going to you. So with Deontay, though, I do believe because he's not a downfield going to beat you over the top guy. He's not a contested catch guy. So he is super good, like, at the way he wins. And it's very Antonio Brown-esque. Like, it's crazy, like, how the, those Steelers find these guys. Um, so he, he can pretty much beat any coverage, but he does need a quarterback that can get the ball out on time with accuracy, and that's a big part of his game. So I'm very interested to see who the quarterback's going to be in Pittsburgh. 
Waddle might have the biggest ADP difference when it's all said and done between August last year and August this year. We'll see, though. Might be warranted. Guy sure was pretty great with it. Just, again, want to make sure that if we are going to be, you know, making that increase, we want to be confident in the role. But, now, Dwayne, I, I think what you said about once you go down the list, okay, maybe three or four wide receivers you could bump ahead. After that, though, yeah. I think and it'll I'm be a tier thing. Like, all those guys I yeah. named with him, I think, are in the same tier. So, if anyone, like if you or Nathan or whoever – Listener was like, no, I really want Higgins. I mean, I'm not going to argue over that. I think those guys all belong there together. Um, and they're all young and upcoming names, right? So I, I think you can make an argument either way. Gentlemen, three more questions. I want to talk a little bit about Josh Palmer, but you know what? We got all offseason to dive into, uh, you know, wide receivers probably ranked outside of most people's top 48 right now. So let's look at some of these potential breakout third-year receivers. Everyone loves Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb, T. Higgins already. These guys are going to be consensus top 15 wide receivers by just about anyone. However, we got Michael Pittman, Jerry Judy, Brandon Ayuk, Chase Claypool, maybe just maybe even Gabriel Davis. Guys, Nathan, we'll start with you. Out of these third-year receivers that haven't quite, you know, truly broken out yet, which one could you see joining the Jefferson Lamb-Higgins tier? I think Brandon Ayuk's the guy that I would choose out of that group. Nice. I think um, Trey Lance has a lot to do with that. I think Trey Lance can attack defenses better than uh, Jimmy G could, so I could see that really opening things up for Ayuk in a way that he hasn't been able to do in the offense so far. And even with Jimmy G, he's played a lot better as the season's gone on. Even as a rookie, he had a stretch down late in the season where he was playing at a very high level. So I think if Trey Lance is the quarterback, we think he is. I could be a star on this offense. When the issue we talked about this 49ers passing game, once everyone got healthy, it was like there's it's a run first offense. There's only one ball, you know, between Ayuk, Kittle and Debo. Someone's probably going to bust. What we really didn't see coming was how willing Kyle was uh, to use Debo as a ball carrier. Was that enough for you to maybe think Ayuk could be this guy or would you rather side with one of these other third year breakouts? I mean, you picked a really good group. Like, Thank you. Pittman's Thank you. Yards per, I mean, it's a tough group to pick from because Pittman's, Yards per route run, 1.95, right? Borderline on a two. We know what Pittman's issue is. They just want to run the ball every play, yeah. right? But he's shown that he can still earn targets basically as the only guy in the offense, um, which can be hard because you know that the other teams are going to be trying to roll that coverage your way. You're going to see more help coverage, which he saw plenty of help coverage this year. And he, he didn't come through with the year that we had hoped, but a lot of it centered around really the way that the Colts were able to run their offense. And they were leading by four or more points by they were in the top five in the league. And so a lot of things can change. Like the, the way your game scripts play out can be very different from year to year, even if your record is pretty close as a team. And so I don't think the Colts are going to be able to be in such great game scripts all next season. I still think Jonathan Taylor is obviously going to be awesome, but I think just a small tweak, right? All of a sudden, if, you know, 5% of those, you know, snaps that are leading by four or more turn into close scripts. If another 5% turn into trailing scripts, then all of a sudden you get a 10% bump in the way that they're going to use Michael Pittman. So I really do like him. So I, I think that the argument could be made for him. Judy, we know it's really just a Teddy Bridgewater thing, but still it's like Judy, I'm surprised he and he's even anywhere close to two yards per route run. He's at a 1.85. I had to go look That's it up. I was like, man, I bet he's going to be done at like a 1.4 or something like that. 21% targets per route run was still the best on the Broncos. So when he was, he was field, supposed to be the positive. Like you said, the Teddy Bridgewater thing, that was supposed to be the thing that yeah, was going to unleash Judy. Like that was the most to, disappointing part. Did he even check it down to Judy? Yeah. Yeah, so I like Judy as well. Um, 
I think I would put Pittman at the top. I do like Ayuk as well to Nathan's point. And they love Ayuk against man coverage. Like it's funny, Debo and Kittle like get all the zone target looks, but Ayuk's targets per route run jumps up like over 26, 27% against man. Like, so anytime they're getting that man look and to his point, like if you've got a quarterback that's willing to uncork it, like when you get that out and up and can just lay it out there in front, whereas we see Jimmy G not always want to do that or be willing to really just, when you get the single ISO coverage, be willing to, you know, just give your receiver a chance to win. I could see that being helpful for IU, but I think the player for me that has shown enough. And I think his situation is most likely to shift just because they were really lucky in their game scripts is Pittman. But I like all these guys. And if anyone out of the group is going to be their offense's undisputed number one pass game option, it's it's definitely Pittman. But to Nathan's point, Ayuk and I still think Judy, if he can be healthy from week one on, I think Ayuk and Judy are the type of guys where even if they are the one B, God forbid, the one C might be good enough to make the most out of slightly limited volume. And as we know, we're more okay taking a volume hit at wide receiver, tight end, as opposed to the ever important running back. But who knows, guys? Maybe Chase Claypool will make a cool contested catch in the preseason and everyone will just completely flip their rankings uh, upside down again because that literally happened last August. All right, guys, similar question. Now just second-year wideouts. We know Jamar Chase. We know Jalen Waddle. Those guys are, again, going to be tougher to rank outside the top 15 and Chase's case outside the top five. Between Devontae Smith, Kadarius Toney, Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore, Josh Palmer, Nico Collins, and Amon Ross St. Brown. Nathan, most likely to be a wide receiver one. Go. Um, I'm going to take a, more of a wild card out of this group. I'll go Rondale Moore. I think everything um, Arizona has with their free agents, both running backs, both tight ends, Christian Kirk, AJ Green. There is no way that Moore isn't a starter next year. I don't think, I think they have too many holes in the offense that they'll have to fill some of them with returning players, but they won't be able to bring everyone back. So I could very well see him being the second guy with the second most targets with one of the best court or better quarterbacks in the league. At least some of these guys don't have as great of quarterback situations or unknown quarterback situations, as well as guys who are in a bit more run first offenses. So I think that limits some of their upside. So as talented as a lot of these players are, um, their situations aren't as good as I think they could be where I think the potential situation in Arizona, where he could see a lot of double digit target games. Is why I like more this upcoming year. One of my best and to be fair, liquored up takes from last year was saying that Austin Eckler had the role we all still hoped Alvin Kamara had. That could be the case. Rondell Moore, Jalen Waddle. I don't know, Dwayne. I'm sober right now, but after uh, six, seven beers, uh, we'll see how that goes. Are you with Nathan or Rondell Moore, or could it be a different Moore? I do love the Rondell Moore call. And I do think that he's going to be one that gets pretty forgotten. Like he, he's not going to shoot way up draft boards, most likely. Um, I mean, we'll wait and see, we'll see what happens. But like, for me, like out of this group, it is still, it's going to be Elijah Moore. I mean, just looking at him, 24% targets per route run tied Jalen Waddle for the, for the highest among rookie receivers participating in at least 40% of their team's routes. Um, 32% targets per route run against man coverage. Like that's a major alpha trait. Like, when you got a quarterback that as soon as they see man coverage, they're just going to you. We see that for all the best receivers. They're all over 30% or right at it. They might be like at like 29%, somewhere right around there. And to, so to see him doing that at such a young age, like is really, really great. And then if we get the, you know, the forward momentum with the offense, 
and think Elijah Moore is a guy like you can do the stuff like what you're doing with Debo. You can get him the ball in the short game, let him run after catch, but he can also get deep. He can also, he showed progress as a route runner this season. So, I mean, just in the middle of the season, you know, he started slowly, but like when he started the, the, um, season with a quad injury but once he got past that we got we saw wide receiver 36 wide receiver 26 wide receiver one wide receiver 27 wide receiver three wide receiver 40 and wide receiver eight so you're already getting a wide receiver one wide receiver three wide receiver eight finishes and a terrible offense like that no one wanted to be a part of so any any common any kind of advancement by the offense I think he's going to be positive for more and I think he's shown enough that he can be the absolute alpha on his team I'm already pissed off at the storylines that are going to come out where people are like, he can't produce with Zach Wilson, but he can with Joe Flacco and Mike White and Josh Johnson. But no, like Zach Wilson's going to well, be already disproved the problem here. Like that was great for like the two weeks of last year. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole 14 days of shelf life we have with that one. Unless we forget everyone, Keelan Cole is an unrestricted free agent, as is Jamison Crowder and the engine of the New York Jets offense, Braxton Berrios, not even a guarantee to be back as well. Although I could see that with the, probably small cap number needed final subject guys you both have been great every summer i break my heart chasing a late round tight end or two two years ago it was chris herndon last year it was adam troutman and anthony furcher all throughout the summer months i don't get a tight end early in the draft when i should i wait until round 13 or 14 and then i take these guys who end up breaking my hearts later and accordingly my bank account i was looking through your guys' rankings obviously irv smith tyler higby maybe even cole Komet standing out which tight end that you have ranked outside your top 12 are you most interested in being this year's late round target? Dwayne, you go first. I think it's a really interesting offseason for tight end um, because we have a ton of former first round picks that are going to change teams and they could see they could get into a better offense. They could get an upgrade at quarterback. Um, they could get in, you know, with a coordinator, just understands how to scheme them up. So you've got Evan Ingram, right? Who's a free agent. You got OJ Howard. You got David Njoku, you got Hayden Hurst, all those guys are former first round picks. So, and we know that tight ends can take longer to develop. We are hearing noise around OJ Howard, not this past season, but the season before and the preseason before he got injured, you know, and obviously they had Gronk on the team. So I'll be very interested in seeing where all of those players land. But if we're just talking about someone right now, for me, it's probably still Cole Komet. I mean, he's only age 23. I'm hoping that we get an upgrade in the offensive coordinator. Um, got a young quarterback that could be getting better. Um, I've got him at tight end 14 right now, but this is one that's going to be really fluid. There's not anyone that I'm just like, oh my gosh, I have to put my stake in it. Um, last year it was Irv Smith. If we hear that like he's really healthy, um, that could be great. But now we've got a new coordinator. That was all based on having Clint Kubiak there, who was going to really run his dad's offense. And, the, and a big part of the offense is play action, getting these athletic tight ends and mismatches versus uh, safeties and linebackers that are worried about their run fits. And so now we don't know. We don't know what that offense is going to look like. So with Irv, Irv Smith, he could either move up you know, or he could move a little bit down the ranks, depending on who we see land there as a coordinator. And then also we don't know for sure what's going to happen with Kirk Cousins, even though he signed, we could see something happen there. Yeah, the tricky thing with Irv Smith when all that went down, like we actually had Zimmer come out and just say that Conklin was going to basically replace Kyle Rudolph. So might have been a bit of a trap this year uh, with Irv. We didn't get to see it play out, but in a new offense, in a situation where they do value Irv as a superior player, um, he could definitely be there. And with Komet, yeah, man, it does look like Jimmy Graham will be out of Chicago. We all know they can't trade him, obviously, but the way his contract is set up, 22 to 20 to 25 are these ridiculous void years that obviously we're 
sweeping uh, for uh, the free agency period last year. Nathan, you in agreement that Cole Komet might be the guy, or is there someone else you're kind of targeting in that tight end two range? Yeah, like I already have Irv Smith back in my top 12 tight end, so I'm already high on him this year. So he doesn't qualify for me answering this question. And like Dwayne said, like half the league has their starting tight ends as free agents, so we could see a ton of movement. So that'll change everything. But one guy that I think should be decently stable, uh, Dan Arnold in Jacksonville. Um, We saw games this year where Jacksonville, uh, Trevor Lawrence targeted the tight end a ton. Um, First it was James O'Shaughnessy, then they traded for Arnold. Arnold basically immediately like they traded for him and had a Thursday night game and he was playing that week and already was one of his favorite targets so I could see Arnold having a big season after Trevor Lawrence is able to play a lot better but I think as long as Lawrence plays well I think Arnold's good enough and we'll see enough targets that he could be that borderline tight end 12 range but uh, draft a top five tight end if you can though. Unless, uh, you know, you can predict the future and know that Darren Waller was going to break some of our hearts. Everyone, I there's one wanna... guy, Ian. I think there's one guy we just have to talk about. And it's okay. not a receiver. But I Let's think talk about should... him. It's because it's somebody that is very, I don't want to say polarizing, but a lot, you know. Uh... I'm happy you said it, Dwayne. Auden Tate's an unrestricted free agent. He is going to change the course <laughs> yeah, of an NFL that's franchise. That's exactly who I was talking about. Uh, it does start with an A. Um, but Amon Ross St. Brown, I want to hear, Ooh. I want to hear Nathan's thoughts on this one, right? Cause this is one where you don't have a lot of draft capital. Um, you had a team really without all the other players. So there's a lot of stories you could tell yourself, but again, the way I look at these players, it's one thing just to get targets, you know, somewhat forced to you, but to be able to earn the target shares that he had, like, I think that's the key word. You have to be good enough to earn part of that. Like they can try to get you 10% of the targets just to spread things around. When you start seeing 30% target shares, unless it's all underneath stuff against zone coverage. And he was starting to work more down the field. He was working outside, not just inside. Like over the last six weeks, he played outside a lot more. Um, Still predominantly ran from the slot, but was seeing weeks where he would operate outside like 40% of the time, you know, was beating man coverage, was beating zone coverage. Didn't matter who his quarterback was. Like the things that Monroe St. Brown pulled off, like over this stretch to end the season and continue to come through. I'm just curious to see, you know, what's Nathan's thoughts, yours too, Ian. Dwayne, you have uh, yeah. a Monra wide receiver 21. Nathan, a little bit lower, wide receiver 30. How are you balancing that out, Nathan? Yeah, he did ball out. He also balled out when Hawkinson and Swift weren't really as involved. Yeah, I think one, those players will get healthy. Two, I think Detroit will have to invest that wide receiver more in the offseason. I think they will add more talent at the position. So I think that'll help the offense in general, but also take away some of those targets. And he did play very well late in the season. So I will definitely give him that. And for a fourth round rookie wide receiver, especially, but I think there are more talented wide receivers in the league. I think the quarterback situation um, probably isn't going to change much, which isn't great for the offense. So um, there's just too many good wide receivers in the league that it's hard to have and much higher than that for me. The only problem, I think I might end up somewhere a little more in the middle of you guys, but Josh Reynolds, Khalif Raymond, and Kadero Hodge are all unrestricted free agents. And if we're now going to be looking at a wide receiver room where they bring in some guy making 12 to 15 million per year, and then they use a, a day one pick on someone that's automatically going to carry higher draft capital than St. Brown. Just not sure I'm going to be able to, you know, necessarily get up to him ahead of some of these other guys. But Dwayne, you know, as you bring up when I start uh, disagreeing with you sometimes, you start listening to wide receivers, we'd be skipping him over, you know, seeing guys like 
Cooper, Brandon Cooks, Adam Thielen. Once we start getting to those older receivers that aren't necessarily slotted in as their own offenses, number one, maybe that's the point where we say, hey, let's trust the talent. And to be fair, Amon Ra didn't only, you know, earn those targets. He freaking worked as what? The wide receiver two over the final six weeks of the year. It was as good of an end of the season as we've really seen since uh, Odell Beckham, which is insane. It's just, it's very rare. We see players get bumps and targets. We do not see them do what he did with it. You just don't see it. Like he's doing Cooper cup stuff like down the stretch. So I'm not saying he's going to be Cooper cup, but it definitely catches my eye. Um, And I think he's good enough that I don't really care who they bring in. Like he's going to demand his own looks. Like, is it going to take him down in target share? Yeah. But at the same time, like did any of us think that Cooper cup would be plus 30% target share this year with Robert Woods and all these other guys on the team? No, there's a lot of good guys on that team too. So I don't know. He definitely has my attention. He could easily get moved down some for all the things that Nathan said. But for me, I feel like, you know, my convictions are strong enough around him that like, I'm not going to move him that far, you know, down after what I've seen. So I was kind of out of and on him early on. I was like, okay, this is a blip on the radar. But when he keeps doing it every single week, especially once other teams have had time to adjust and they know their whole offense is a Monroe St. Brown. And then he still keeps doing this stuff. Um, and let's be honest, TJ Hawkinson, as much as I loved him going in the season, didn't show us much. DeAndre Swift, who knows if he can even stay on the field because he sucks as a running back. Like he's really good as a receiver out of the backfield, but he hasn't been that good as far as carrying the ball. So I don't know. I could see a path where Amon Ross still clearly out targets all of those guys based on what we saw here, but it's going to be, it's going to be one of the more fun ones to talk about, you know, through the off season. Some God for sure could be one of the most polarizing players of the offseason for better and for worse. You know what's not polarizing though? Going to manscaped.com and using code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Again, that's manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. It's New Year, no pubes in 2022 with Manscaped. Also invite you all to participate in in Western Southern's fantastic competition. They are offering catering up to $2,500 to coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on the day of the big game, February 13, 2022. All you got to do is go enter a question for Chris Collinsworth over at westernsouthern.com slash feast. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash feast. Ask Chris anything. Life without Michaels, life in the NFL, what Dwayne is like, you know, behind the scenes, if he has any idea, we don't care. Just know that you can win up to 2,500 in catering, which, you know, that's pretty freaking awesome. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Again, that's westernsouthern.com slash feast. And remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Gentlemen, that concludes this edition of the episode. Nate, everyone can find you on Twitter at BFF underscore Nate Yonke. I'm sure you'll be back on many more times this offseason. People can always find your up-to-date ranks on PFF.com. Dwayne, you are at Dwayne McFarland on Twitter. Dwayne McFarland is your name on Twitter. It's no longer context matters, but context does still matter. Utilization report ranks. You're still grinding. Any final words, gentlemen? None for me. <laughs> I go an hour and a half setting you guys up perfect one after another. We have no issues until now. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just trying to be polite. Let Nathan doesn't get to be on as much. So I was letting him go first. Nathan, the floor is yours. I'll say I'm really excited for this upcoming weekend of games. We should have some great action. We still have like all of the good wide receivers still in the playoffs. So um should be definitely a fun weekend of fantasy and for football in general. 
Dwayne, after you so rudely interrupted Nathan, do you have something you want to say? No, I feel like I should just <laughs> not talk anymore. No, uh, it is going to be fun. Um, I put $1,200 into like fantasy uh, over FFPC. How rich? I, just determ- I just put, yeah, for the playoffs. <laughs> but I, I determined that really like I was going all or nothing, like the leverage of the way I was building my lineups. I just wanted to go with Kyler at quarterback on all of mine. Oh, no. So the cool news is like $1,200 already gone, like immediately. <laughs> Oh man, that's well. So, so, sorry, Dwayne. That, that sucks. Wasn't trying to end on that. I knew that was part. Hey, it was part of my strategy. Kyler came in only like he came in under five percent, and that's what I was looking for. You need, you know, if you have a chance to get different on the quarterback spot because there's only one, and so I wanted to do that, and then it just opened more things up for the way I wanted to construct the rest of the roster. So. Um, you know, what do they say? You know, Ian, what's your quote? Like, as the wife is leaving you, you're like, the process was right. Yeah. <laughs> as your whole family is packing their bags, leaving their life. The process was right, though. Well, yeah, I lost all my uh, DFS this week on Kyler Murray as well. So great minds, Dwayne, I guess you could say. Uh, all right. I had a fun Monday night. I don't know about you guys. God damn it. <laughs> Went all in on the Rams. Oh, my gosh. Freaking Nathan. You're being more logical, Nate. Yeah. We need Nate on here to actually give the good advice, I guess. For Nathan, <laughs> for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning in, buddy. Until next time, take care.